You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake Michigan Bible Conference 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Now, here is Howard Sugden on Today in the Word Radio. Behold, one cometh in the way in humble garments clad. The poorest of the poor is he, no pillow for his head. The hungry, weary, sick, and sad in crowds around him press. No other man such works has done. What manner of man is this? It is Jesus, blessed Jesus, the man of Galilee. It is Jesus, blessed Jesus, who died on Calvary. God has broken indivisibility. God has walked upon this earth. God has been here. He has visited this planet. And he visited this planet as a babe born a span long. Now how would anyone ever believe that a babe born in a manger in humble circumstances, in a little town of Bethlehem, how could anyone ever believe that he was God incarnate? This was a stumbling block, and really the stumbling block of the manger and a baby. When Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, and delivered the first message of the book of Acts. It was a message delivered to Jewish people. He tells them three times in his message, ye men of Israel, hear these words. So they won't mistake it, he says it again, and so they won't mistake it, he says it again, that he is addressing his people, the people of Israel. And he is going to set forth the reasons why we believe that the babe in the manger was God with us. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of him, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Imagine what we can never do in our finite minds. Put God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in focus. Someone said you can never see four sides of a house at once, and that's true. But here Peter focuses our attention upon this tremendous truth that has puzzled theologians in the past, in the present, 
and in the future. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. God delivered him. You took him. And by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And in that brief compass of four or five verses, he talks about his life being approved, his death being appointed, his resurrection assured, and his exaltation announced. And we are concerned this morning about ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited of God. Now how were they to know that Jesus Christ was God? How were they to know that this little baby that would grow up, did, did you know that once he was, he, that he was once six years old? That once he was a junior hire? Did you know that once he was a teenager? You know, we, we sit back and we read about the Lord Jesus and we forget the wonder of his being a baby and a child and a boy growing up and a junior hire and a teenager and a young man and a man. Peter says there are credentials that he carries with him that says to you and to me that he is God. While he walked on earth, he performed miracles and wonders and signs. These miracles and wonders and signs were his credentials. Jesus Christ carried with him his credentials. And he so displayed them that no man can ever say that he was not God. He was accredited. Now Peter not only speaks about the evidences, the credentials of the Lord Jesus that made his life a life of miracle. Paul speaks about this as he refers to this. But the Lord Jesus has much to say about this himself. Go back to the Gospel of John and look a moment at the words of the Lord Jesus on this particular subject in John chapter 5. And we will go rapidly now. John chapter 5, verse 33. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than John's witness. He says, I have greater credentials and evidences as to who I am than John. What are they? For the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Go to John 10, 25. This, the Gospel of John is just crowded with this. John 10 and 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. 
The works that I do in my Father's name, they are my credentials. They bear witness of me. Acts, or John 14 and 10, again. John 14, 10. Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not from myself. But the Father who dwells in me, he doeth the works. John 15 and 24. 15 and 24. This is a great section. Sometime at your leisure, start in with verse 18 and read down through, beginning with verse 18. And notice, if the world hated me, you will know that it hated me. Before it hated you, you will know that it hated me before it hated you. And here is just step after step of the hatred of the world for the Lord Jesus and for you and for me. And then notice verse 23. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works. What were the works? The miracles. If I had not done the miracles which none other man did, they had not had sin. He said, if I had not walked down their roads and down their streets, visited their marketplaces, ate with them at their tables, if they had not seen my works, they would have never had sin. I have revealed who I am, but what I have done. But now, he says, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. And it was in the light of the miracles of the Lord Jesus that he approved, as Peter says, he was accredited of God. God says, this is my son. Now, I can't do it this morning, but there are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about 43 miracles. And the Lord just did not perform miracles promiscuously, Every miracle that he performed was saying to a watching world, God is here and God is manifested in flesh. Now, what about these miracles? What do they mean to you and to me this morning? We'll look at them and then we'll examine some of them. First of all, they were historical events. I believe that. They were historical events. You will go to Upjohn's today. It is an event. The men out yesterday morning on that lovely little boat fishing. Oh, I love to see men fish like that. They look so leisurely. They no work to do, no fish to pull in, nothing. <laughs> just, just out there, just leisurely doing it. That's an event. It is something that really happened in time, in history. I believe that. I have a friend, he is a prolific writer. I'm not referring to Dr. Wearsby. But th this friend of mine, I've never met him. He has written, oh, I would suppose 40 or 50 books. Some of them are valuable, some of them are terrible. Oh, they're terrible. And I read them and I get so angry inside. But the other day, the funniest one he has written is a book on the miracles of the Lord Jesus. And it is, it is wild. He tells about the miracles of the loaves and fishes. And some of you have read it because you know him. You say, Pastor, why do you, why do you read such lousy things? 
Well, because I want to see what he says and what the theological world is thinking, what Christian world will swallow. And uh, so he said on that particular day, here are all these people, all these people, 5,000, 6,000 people, maybe 10,000 with the women and children, and they didn't have any food. They didn't have a bit of food. And so they went around looking, and you know what they found? They found a little boy with his lunch. I like that little boy. I like to preach about him. He had his lunch. He had started out on a fishing trip that morning, and his mother had mixed up probably tuna fish sandwiches. They were, they were on little bitty rolls like that, and he had them all tucked away in a Schaefer's, you know, bread wrapper, and had it all under his arm. Worms under one arm and bread under the other arm. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet. And he, uh, uh, so here he is going along, and Andrew goes out looking, he finds a little boy, and he brings him back. And the little boy gives to Jesus the bread. And Jesus takes it. And you know what happened? Oh, the most miraculous thing happened. All of those people there that day, they all had their lunches with them. Did you know that? They all had their lunches with them, all wrapped. And when they saw what this little boy had done, how he was willing to give his lunch for them, they all gave their lunches and they spread them out on a big table and had a smorgasbord. No, that, that's, that's, in a, that's in a book that sells for five bucks entitled, entitled The Miracles of Jesus. Now that is not so. There was an actual day when an actual little boy was willing to give up his lunch. And the Lord Jesus took that lunch in his hand and blessed and break and gave and he fed the multitudes. So they are, first of all, historical events. We believe in the accuracy of the Word of God. The second thing is, and I believe this, that they are shadows of spiritual experiences in our lives. That every one of the miracles of the Lord Jesus has a lesson. Each one has a lesson for you and for me in our spiritual lives today. Because the one who performed the miracles in history in an actual historical setting is still the mighty God and the God of miracle. And he can do it again. Now the third thing is that they are a foretaste, a forepicture of prophetic realities in the future. There will come a day, Isaiah says, then, don't forget when you read Isaiah to put a circle around that, will you? Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened. Doesn't say now shall the eyes of the blind be opened. It says, then shall the eyes of the blind be opened. Then shall the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. Then. So the miracles of the Lord Jesus were historical events. They were performed with spiritual significance for you and for me. And they tell us that there is an age that is going to come when the miraculous 
that we see in the Gospels will find its final fulfillment. Now, with, with that brief introduction, I want to look at two or three miracles. Would you like to do that this morning? Thank you. We're going to do it anyway. Let, <laughs> let's go back to Matthew's Gospel. And you find in Matthew's Gospel that they come in clusters. These miracles that the Lord Jesus performed were miracles that were demonstrations of his authority. And we want to look at them as they set, first of all, in historical setting. Then we'll take a little bit about their spiritual significance for us if we have time. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. Now that, that miracle is followed immediate by immediately by another miracle in verse 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. Now, these opening miracles in Matthew's gospel are saying what we already know, that Jesus Christ has authority over disease. He has authority over disease. I believe that he still has the same authority over disease today. Now, when I say that, I hope you understand that I say it in the light of the Word of God, that God is able to heal today. I could take you this morning, Mrs. Sugden and I could take you this morning through these past 40 or 50 years, we could take you to homes that we have visited, where we have prayed, and people have recovered. You know why? Because God heals. Now, don't let anyone steal this away from us. God is a sovereign God. God still has power to heal. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. And there is no authority for me to ever say, and I say this honestly, there is no authority for me to ever say that God will heal everyone. I don't do this. But I do say this, that in his sovereignty, God is still the God of miracle, and God can heal people. And we believe in the healing ministry of God and not in the healing ministry of healers. You understand what I'm saying. So God is sovereign in this. 
I remember early in our ministry when we were just kids starting out. I'm so glad it happened this way. We had a young fellow in our town. He was a young doctor. Oh, he was a big, handsome guy, had hair and everything that you know. And uh, he was a he, he, he did good in our little town. He was just a, a, a nice a country doctor, you know. And then he had a case of a dear little lady who was a lovely Christian woman. And uh, he told her daughters, now there's no hope for your mother. Your mother will not live. So they called. They said, Pastor, would you and Mrs. Sugden come out and, and just see Mom and say goodbye to her? I said, why? They said, she's going to die. So I, we went out, and I'll never forget that day in that little farmhouse, Mrs. Sugden and I sang. She wanted us to sing some hymns, and we sang some hymns, and then we knelt by her bed and prayed. And you know what happened? She lived. She lived. And about three days later, I went into the little drugstore, and my doctor friend was sitting on the stool drinking a Coke. And uh, I went up and patted him on the shoulder and said, How are you, doctor? He said, fine. I said, tell me, how is Mrs. So-and-so? Well, he said, she's fine. Said, I, I said, I heard she was going to die. Yeah, well, he said, somebody else was taking care of her besides me. <laughs> I was always glad of that. And, and, and listen today, aren't you glad that God is a sovereign God, that your times are in his hands, that in his power he is able to heal? He knows the day of my arrival and he knows the day of my departure. And God will heal all of our diseases except the last one. Put it down, put it down. Put it down. He will keep you alive until that last one. And he will be the doer of it. He is the God of miracle. He has authority over disease. And I leave it there. And so I go to the hospitals. I, know, I, I have probably not missed more than 25 days in the last 25 years before I've been in the hospitals. And I have prayed with people. And I never go in and say, Now, Lord, I command you that you heal this man. But I do say, dear Father, if it be your will, touch my brother, touch my sister, touch this little boy, and do the unusual, we pray. And then we sense that we are in his care and in his hand. God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold that key, or if God trusted it to me, I might be sad. I cannot read his future plans, but this I know. I have the smiling of his face and all the wonder of his grace while here below. And he has authority over disease. Now let's take the next one. In verse 23, same chapter. They're in clusters, you see. He is now beginning his ministry, and in the beginning of his ministry, he is showing his credentials. As the young man walked in my office and flipped open his leather folder and said, these are my credentials, the Lord Jesus, now about to begin his ministry, is showing his credentials to us. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Uh, sometimes when you read the Gospels, and you do this, I know, you are amazed at the Lord Jesus. 
how, how the human and the divine are so skillfully blended in him. Very God of very God. He's asleep. Why is he asleep? Because he's weary. You mean the God who created the worlds is weary? Yes. You mean the God who flung out the Rockies and dropped in those magnificent little little lakes? In the, you mean he's tired today? Yes, he's tired. Because he is God and he is man. And he's asleep. And his disciples are in the ship. And behold, there arose a great tempest. And he was asleep. And his disciples came to him. And they awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Pastors, you've done this, haven't you? But if you haven't done it, you will do it. Preach a, preach a, 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 a great message on the development of faith. From no faith to little faith to great faith to so great faith. There are, four, there are four steps in faith in the gospel in relation to the miracles. He said, why is it that you have no faith? That's in Mark chapter 4. Here he says, oh, you of little faith. Then he talks about great faith. And the first man we met was the man who had so great faith. You know what he said? Speak the word only, Lord, and I'll believe. Just speak the word. And the Lord said, I haven't had a man with so great faith. He just believes my word. But now they have little faith. And he said, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now he not only has authority over disease, but he has authority over nature and his creation. I'm so glad that I was born when I was born. If I could have gotten through to my mother, told me when I liked to have come, I would have come when I came. <laughs> because it was just such a wonderful day. You know what? In those days when we were kids, we used to enjoy things. We used to enjoy storms. Now, do you know we can't enjoy a storm anymore? But the reason why we can't is because we're all in our basements hiding. I think it's nice to have tornado watches and tornado warnings and storm warnings. And the result is we never have a chance to see the wonder of God. I called my daughter one night when there was a tornado watch on. And I said, why are you at the phone? Oh, she said, we're having a ball. We're out in the backyard watching the tornado go over. <laughs> what a blessing. <laughs> It was going over. <laughs> but imagine being, being caught in the storm on the sea. Now, I believe this happened. I believe it was an historical event. I believe they did go down to the sea. I believe that the Lord of glory got in the boat, and he took off his coat, and he made a little pillow and laid it down on the seat, put his head down on the seat, and fell asleep.
I think there was a southwester came up. And those disciples said, well, we won't bother him. We'll try to get through the storm ourselves. And they fell to rowing as fast as they could. And then suddenly they said, there is no hope. And they awakened him and said, don't you care for us in the storm? And he awakened and said, peace, be still, be quiet. And do you know what the waves did? They ran right back to the shore and up under the banks. And then they looked out and said, our creator just talked to us. The creator, the creator of the sea spoke to us and we were quiet. Now, if you've lived by big lakes, and I love big lakes. I don't, I don't like water, but I love lakes. I don't like to be in water. When I take a bath, I always hang on the plug so if anything happens, I can save myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to drown under any of those circumstances. Forgive me, just keep me out of that. But just to see, I have watched storms pass, and I have gone down to the edge of those, the magnificent lakes that surround our state, and I have found eight, 10, 12 hours later, the waves tumultuous and restless. But you know, that day when he said, peace be still, they just quietly moved under the bank. And they were so quiet because he is the Lord of storms. I do not know of an hour in ministry in my life when we have more storms than today. We are here as many of us pastors We'll be going home. All of us will be going home sooner or later. And you know what we'll go back to? Tempestuous storms. And I am thankful that God has brought to our attention this magnificent truth that Jesus Christ has authority over the storms of life. In our city, I was talking with one of our men the other day who is involved in death. Did you know that the increasing, increasing rate of suicides is the most staggering thing that's happening to us today? Now, it is not with adults anymore. Oh, we have some suicides among the adults, but it's stepped down into junior hires, high schools and junior hires. Doctor said to me the other day, the, the youngest one I think he had had was nine years old. Imagine a little boy taking his belt, putting it around his throat, and hanging himself on the foot of the bed. Man said to me as we motored the other day, he said, Pastor, we picked up a boy, and he told me where. He said, I cannot. He said, please explain to me Please explain to me. He said, here was a young man, 18 years of age, he said, had everything made. He was graduated from high school. He was the highest man in his class. He had all of his life ahead of him planned, college, all the things that he needed. And then he goes out and takes his own life. I walked into my little store where I buy 
uh, groceries sometimes in the morning for our staff, and I get them on Saturday morning. And the other morning, every morning I pull in, there's a fellow who comes in just about the same time I do. He's a big man, drives a huge car, wealthy man, white-haired, handsome. And when he came in the other morning, and I was there, he came around back of that little shelf where I was, and he grabbed me in his arms, and he began to sob. And he said, oh, pastor, you know what happened to my boy? I said, I read, I read about it. In the middle of the night, he walks out in the backyard of their home and ends it all. You say, what happens? Storms. Storms invade our lives and they tear at us and hurt us. And the tragedy is that so many folk do not know that he is the Lord of storms. And he speaks to our restless, troubled hearts. Peace, be still. Like the fragrance of flowers, like the soft summer showers is the peace that my Savior has given. Like a song sweet and tender is the peace of God in the storm. What an awesome responsibility we have to help people in times of storm. So that's the second miracle. First one, his authority that he has over disease and now over nature. Now look at chapter 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came unto his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Pastors, if you are here this morning and are listening in, don't forget to preach on the good cheers of Jesus. They are just great, just great. He just takes it over and over and over again. He talks about good cheer, and he always has good cheer in, in the place where you don't expect to have good cheer. Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Here is his authority over sin. He has authority over sin. And what does he do with sin? He speaks to the troubled, restless, the palsy. You know what the palsy is? It's the helplessness. When I was a little boy, I used to go to the drugstore, and the man who ran the drugstore had the palsy. And there's a helplessness about this. You just can't help yourself. What can you do with sin? We can cry out, damn spot, as Shakespeare said, but it doesn't go out. <laughs> and sin grips the human heart, and there's a hopelessness and helplessness about it. And then he speaks. And he said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. That, I judge, is the greatest word that ever falls upon the ears of man from God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he speaks, and there comes that hush in your heart 
of wholeness and peace because he has authority to forgive sin. Now I want to take the last two in about four minutes. Notice in verse 28 of this same chapter, I want to deal with the invisible world and then with our great enemy. And when he was come to the other side into the country of Galilee, there met him two possessed with demons coming out of the tombs. Then it describes them. Then it tells what they said in verse 29, what have we to do with thee? And verse 31 says, So the devils besought him, saying, If thou wilt cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he did all this, and then he commanded the demons, and the demons obeyed him. The Lord Jesus, with authority, all of his authority that he has, he has authority now over demons. He has authority over disease and nature and sin, and now he has authority over demons. When you study the Word of God, you are aware that in this particular day, and I believe that we are in what our Lord calls the last day, or the last days, they will be marked by demon activity in our world. And demon activity is rampant. We have talked about this. My, what, what we have talked about in the matter of demons in our world today, in Chicago, in Milwaukee, in Lansing, in every little hamlet, they're demons. We have covens of demons everywhere. Do you know that in our high schools across central Michigan, they tell me there's hardly a high school that does not have its own special witch. And we are having this all over. Now, I believe, and you would want me to tell you this, because you, you may disagree with me, and if you do, you'll just have to go through life wrong. <laughs> but I, I believe, I believe that when I became a child of God and the Holy Spirit of God came to dwell in me, that I have within me a power within me as a believer greater than the power that is outside of me. And I do not believe that demons can possess or indwell believers. Now, if you disagree, you'll, you'll love me anyway and go on and be wrong. But uh, I believe that John said in John chapter 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Did you know that in John chapter 5, he said the whole world lieth in the lap of the wicked one, and then he says about the believer that the wicked one toucheth him not. A.T. Robertson, his great word study says, the wicked one can't even lay a hand on us. And the reason for it is that this one who came out of the ivory palaces, who walked on earth, who has authority over sin and storms and disease, is the one who has authority over demon powers, and he lives in me today in the Spirit of God. But there are satanic attacks on the men outside and the women outside and the kids outside. We had a young over in Hillsdale College, which is not far from here, not long ago we had uh, the uh, students in a dorm room, and they were friends. Would you read? They were friends. And one of the students got up in the night and killed the, the fellow who was rooming with him. He just killed him. 
And it was splashed all over the Detroit papers. And when it came out, it had big headlines. It says, young student says that Satan made him do it. Satanic power, loose in the world today. But I'm glad I know one today who has authority over demons. Are you? Now let's take the last one, and then you can go and eat again. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> now, this same chapter, chapter 9, verse 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now let's go to verse 23. There's a little intermission here and an interruption. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. And when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand. And the little maid arose. Can you imagine just walking in and seeing this lovely little white casket about this long, just about this long, all satin lined and a little satin pillow, and pushed against the that little satin pillow the curly blonde locks of a little girl. Campbell Morgan said it's the greatest scene in the Gospels. The Lord Jesus stood by that little casket and put out his hand and this is what he said, little lamb. He said, Jesus, he's just like a little lamb, little lamb, I say unto thee, arise. And do you know what happened? She arose. Because the Lord Jesus has authority over death. Now I believe that is it true that what happened in the physical realm will happen in a further day. And I believe that it happens spiritually every Lord's Day and every day around this world when a man who is dead in trespasses and sins hears the voice of God and he is raised by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I love to read the Gospels. There are only three, there are only three resuscitations in the Gospels. This little girl... I think she's a picture of all the little children, all the little children that are gathering today, little lambs, and the Lord Jesus speaks to them, and they arise. It doesn't take much to get a little child up, does it? And so when you have children's meetings, you have to be careful, because you get an inv invitation to have everybody come. We just had about 100 boys and girls saved in our DVBS, just, just little children. Very careful about this. Little children hear the voice, and they get up quickly. Then there was a young man. Didn't take much to get him up. Either when the, hearse, when the Lord Jesus stopped that Cadillac hearse, walked around to the back and opened up the door and pulled out, and said to the young man, I say unto thee, arise. And you know what he did? He got up. But when he went out with Mary and Martha into the cemetery that day, and there was an old man, you have trouble with old men. <laughs> Lazarus, he said. He had to yell to get him up. And you have to do a lot to get old people up, you know. <laughs> but you have little children, they hear, and young people, and they hear. And then 
thank God, some old people. I had a friend of mine. He was 92 years old. He was a part Indian man. He raised a family, was a good man. And then one day, one of my pastor friends went out to see him, motored out across the country and stopped at his lovely country home and walked in and talked with him. And this man, who was 92 years old without Christ, heard the voice of the Lord and that authoritative voice that breaks the powers of death that hold. And that man was saved. You see, the Lord Jesus showed who he was by what he did. And the miracles of the Gospels are actual events. They're actual historical events. They took place in history. They have spiritual significance for our lives today. And in a future day, there will be that day when he shall reign, and demons, and death, and sorrow, and difficulty will be pushed aside, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and a message Howard Sugden presented on the life and mission of Jesus Christ at Moody Week at Gull Lake, Michigan Bible Conference, 1979. Howard Sugden was a pastor and conference speaker from Lansing, Michigan. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.